You are listening to the Reality Church Ventura podcast, a collection of sermons from our weekly Sunday gatherings. To learn more about reality, visit us online at realityventura.com. Today's scripture passage is from Psalm 27 from the NIV. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my cry, hear my voice when I call. Be merciful to me, Lord, and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in, your, in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes or false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. This is God's word. What a beautiful psalm. We are looking at psalms through the end of the summer, and today we come to Psalm 27, which is really a declaration of confidence in God amid great fear. Let's pray together that we would learn from David's words here about how we can face our own fears. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We thank you so much that you set us free from the power of fear. Thank you that we do not need to live in fear or be slaves of fear. You gave your son, Jesus, to set us free. And whoever your son sets free is free indeed. So I ask that you would take what is true and make it real to every one of our hearts. Whatever we're facing now, or in the future, that we would understand how all that you've done for us in Christ is our ultimate refuge from the fears of life. Spirit of God, would you speak to us? For those that don't know you, 
Would they come to know you today and put their trust in Jesus? Would you transform us all, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, C.S. Lewis once said, you never know how much you really believe in anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life or death. Lewis actually penned these words after his wife died. And I think they capture what many of us discover about fear. It reveals what we most trust. He goes on to say, it's easy to say you believe a rope is sound and strong as long as you're merely using it to tie a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a cliff. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? See, what Lewis is doing is taking this whole conversation about what we trust in the midst of fear out of the theoretical and bringing it into real life, which is precisely what King David, the author of this psalm, does for us. For here we find David who's facing these incredible fears, but he's doing so with confident trust. We're reading the words of someone for whom the truth of what he believed really was a matter of life and death. And I want you to see, friends, the way he faces his fear was not accidental. See, for most of us, when it comes to fear or trouble in our lives, we just kind of react. We don't really have like a a framework or, or a plan. And we're often surprised by the battles and dangers as they arise. So my question for you and the question I've been asking this week is, how have you been facing your fears? If you had to describe the manner in which you've been responding to trouble and difficulty and tragedy, like what would it be? How have you been facing your fears? Let's take that question to this Psalm of David. For here David's hanging over a cliff and yet he is not only confident in the rope that he holds, but he's confident that the rope is actually holding him. See, if you read about the life of David, it doesn't take you long to discover that he was constantly facing danger and threat, far more than many of us could ever imagine. And that actually makes this song even more powerful. Why? Because in the midst of conflict, he has joyful confidence. And the good news, friends, is this joyful confidence can be yours as well. This psalm is written for our instruction. So I want us to note how we can face our fears, which is essentially by praying your fears. But there's three steps or three ingredients to that. Honesty, intimacy, and dependency. So first, we must learn to be honest before God. When David faces his fears, It is with honesty before God. David does not pretend that his fears aren't real or that they don't matter, and neither should we. He is specific in naming what he's facing in life. So yes, on the one hand, there is a declaration of great praise. He declares who God has been to him and who God can be for us. But notice what comes after it. Verse one and two, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. 
Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, if you just pause there, those are beautiful words. But here's why they mattered. Verse 2, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. For David, these military images weren't just a metaphor. (laughs) They were a reality. He literally had armies facing him at times in his life. But the way we may not be like in David in his position, we face very real battles, not just of a social nature, but of a spiritual nature. We're told in the Bible that we have real enemies, the, the enemy of the devil and our sin and even suffering and death. And that's why the titles that he gives to God become even more significant. He declares, you are my light. Why is light important? Because there is a very real darkness. There have been and will be times where you will face and go through what is a very real and present darkness, whether it's more broadly in the culture or it's specifically within your own life. For those of you who've wrestled with depression and crippling anxiety, you know exactly what that is like. And in the midst of that, David says, you are my light. What does it mean that God is light? I find this fascinating because this is the only time in the Old Testament where God is specifically referred to as light. So what is that communicating to us? Well, to know God is light is to know him to be true. He doesn't live in the shadows. God will never lie. He is trustworthy. And isn't that one of the things we're afraid of, that God won't keep his word or that God won't, you know, like he'll go back on what he said or he won't come through. But with God, you never have to be afraid of this. And you never have to be afraid of the dark. He says, God is my salvation, my rescue. Why is that important? Because there are very real enemies for David in that day and for us today. We do not need to fear sin, Satan, and death because we have a God who rescues. He says, God is my refuge. Why is that important? Because the buffeting and the burdens and the pressures of opposition is real. When you're facing trouble and when you're facing opposition, there are times in which you just feel absolutely beaten down. I'm sure many of us have even said that. Man, I just feel like I've just been pummeled by all that I've gone through right now. And in the midst of that feeling, David says, God, you are my refuge. And notice how realistic David is. The next two verses tell us the context. Look at verse three. Though an army besiege me, My heart will not fear, though war break out against me. Even then, I will be confident. See, when David prays about his fears, he does so with radical honesty before God. He takes the dangers of life seriously, and so should we. See, I've often referred to fear as being like a check engine light that appears on your dashboard. Fear arises. That's normal. It's meant to alert you to danger. But what then do you do with that fear? See, for many of us, the light goes on, but then we're controlled by the fear. But rather, the the fear 
the light on the dashboard, if you will, is meant to call our attention to something else that can guide us amid the fear. You need to be honest about what is troubling you. I need to be honest about the real fears in my life. I love this because the Bible never tells you to pretend, right? Christianity, coming to church, this is not a place you come for some kind of like think positive TED talk. This is not the place. Like we are here to deal with very real stuff. There are real threats and notice even the best of people in your life will let you down in the midst of fear. Later on, we'll get to it in a moment, but in verse 10, he says, even if my father and my mother forsake me, even the best will let you down. David is totally honest about this. Now, why is that important for us? I think for two reasons. David's truthfulness, his honesty, steers us away from two mistakes that we often make in the face of fear. One is self-deception, and the other mistake is self-reliance. So for some of us, the way that we respond to fear is by just deceiving ourselves, like, it's fine, it's fine, everything's fine. I don't know if you've seen that meme. It's like famous, there's like a little dog drinking coffee in a house that's on fire, and it just says, it's fine. <laughs> How many times have I done that? I'm like, everything's just gonna be, everything's gonna be fine. But that just means you have to like cover over all the very real threats. And if you're anything like me, I don't enjoy that. My oldest daughter, who I often describe as a radical realist, I remember one time when we had made the decision back in 2015 that we felt God calling us to leave LA, where we had planted and pastored Reality LA, to leave the ministry and to sell everything we have and to move to London to plant a church. Now, I would always put on a brave face like around the family, like, we got this. And my daughter comes in one day. She's like, aren't you afraid? Like, what if no one comes to church? What if we legally cannot establish this entity as a UK like charity? Like, what if we don't have the funding? What if we have trouble in school? What if this, what? And I was like, yeah, those are all my deepest, darkest fears. Thank you, honey, for <laughs> articulating them in such a way that would cause terror and fear in my heart. <laughs> I appreciate it. But it was good, she was bringing me to face the fear in a way that was honest because if I'm gonna pray my fear, I need to be honest about my fear, right? The answer is not, hey, everything's going wild and when you pray, like, oh Lord, it's kinda, kinda rough out here. But if you could just, David doesn't do that. He's like, an army is trying to kill me, oh Lord. <laughs> David's not vague. And neither should we. So this honesty keeps us from self-deception, just pretending everything's fine. But this radical honesty also keeps us from self-reliance. See, I think this is particularly true in the United States, that when we face difficulties, the counsel you get, the advice you get, is usually some kind of self-help strategy, like, you've got this. There's a champion in there, and you can face it. There's one particular athlete I, I follow, and um, <laughs> he posts like the cheesiest things. And I don't know what he went through, but he's going through a tough time, but his little Instagram post had this line. It was a picture of like a lion, or it was like a lion like superimposed on him, like he's a lion. 
And the little line was, when tough times come, don't say, why me? Say, try me. Oh my gosh, that's so dumb. (laughs) But all these people are like, so good, like fire! Okay, there are some battles that maybe you can meet. What about when you face an army? David wasn't like, guys, I got this. 10,000 people, no problem. David. (laughs) Listen, radical honesty before God keeps you from self-reliance, where you're like, you know what? I don't have this. So many people I know have broken down because they feel that they need to be the ones to like carry it all together. I will never forget when many, many years ago, as I've often shared, my my father died a long time ago, and when we were going through the the darkness of all that, I remember feeling like I was the one in the family with my mom and my brother, like I had to hold it all together. I felt like I had to hold everything together, and so I was just stealing myself. I I didn't even allow myself to like cry for a long time, which might be surprising to some of you because you're like, well, you always cry. Like, that's weird. But I was like, I was just in like this survival mode because I was believing this narrative that I had to hold everything together. And it wasn't until, it was actually during a worship song that someone was leading us during that time that I like broke down and realized so much of my tension and like anxiety, I was being crippled by this idea that I had to hold everything together. And the surrender and the release came when I realized I don't. This is too big for me. And there's a freedom in that honesty. And it will drive you away from yourself and towards God. And that is exactly how David found confidence. So step one is honesty before God, but step two is intimacy with God. Don't let your troubles drive you away from God, but toward him. See, for David, his priority, he says here, this this one thing, the reason I have joy, he says, the reason I have confidence, the reason that I can sing It's because I have ultimately the one thing that matters. He says in verse four and five, one thing I ask from the Lord. Context, an army wants to kill me. People are literally out to get me. My life is in danger. That's the historical context for David. But in the midst of that, he says one thing I ask from the Lord. This only or ultimately do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Why is knowing God intimately the secret to facing your fear? And how do we actually do that? Well, think about this for a moment. Our greatest fears are connected to what's most important. If something in your life is unimportant, you're not gonna be that fearful when it's threatened. But for anything that, that is valuable in your life, you, fear will arise when it is threatened. So if what is most important in my life is fragile, then of course I will have great fear. But if what is most important in my life is secure and solid, 
then my fear will decrease. So if God is most important and placed high above everything else, my confidence will grow in the face of whatever trouble because God is above it all. See, in myself, I do not have what it takes. We don't tell you, hey, when the devil tries to come at you, like, you've got this. Right? The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say, put on the armor of Tim in that evil day in Ephesians 6. (laughs) I'm like, I'm creative, I'm smart, I'm talented. Like, it doesn't say that. (laughs) It says, put on the armor of God. If I'm supposed to look to myself in the face of spiritual opposition and trial in this life, I'm going to be ruined because the devil is more powerful than me. I am no match for the devil, but the devil is no match for Jesus Christ. And so David is saying, if God is my God, if he's my ultimate thing, and nothing can touch him, then if I put him first, this begins to heal my fear. Because what is most important to me can never be taken away from me. And so David calls God his refuge in verse five. And I want us to note that David isn't simply thinking of a physical location. He's not thinking like, oh, if I could just get into the temple physically, I'll be safe. When David talks about the house of the Lord in verse four, and to seek him in his temple, he's not under the impression that a physical location would protect him from his enemies. What he wanted was what the temple provided. And what was that? Access to God. It's interesting, if you read the life of David, often many of these psalms where he talks about being in the house of the Lord were written when he was very far away from Jerusalem. So why is he talking about it? He's talking about what the temple provided access to God, unbroken nearness to God, intimacy with him. That's why he says later on in verse nine, I will seek his face. If I can just know that I'm near to God, I have all that I need to face these very real fears. See, friends, this is not some kind of generic belief in God, like my parents believe in God, so I guess I'm good. This is personal, and this is where David finds courage. Or to put it simply, the way to face our fears is to seek the face of God. But how do we do that? Well, the end of verse four actually tells us to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And I want you to note that there's both a delight and a discipline when it comes to being near to God. So first he describes this delight. He's saying, I want to know and experience the presence of God, the one he believes in. I want to know him. The word gaze means to fill your mind up with something, to turn it over and over, to to meditate on it like you would do a a piece of of art or as you're listening to a, a song or as you're reflecting on a relationship that is very dear to you. This past week, I was with the adult team on our UK trip, and we had one day where we had a a church history walking tour. It was phenomenal. And then we went to the British Museum, and we learned about the history of the Bible through the artifacts of the British Museum. And the guy who led us was just spectacular. He was such a thespian. He would just start sharing a story, 
and you're like, why are he bring you to this, like this, this painting. He brings us to this random painting. We're like, what is it? And then he begins, he's like, when Israel, many years ago, I'm not gonna do the accent, was like brought into captivity and Nebuchadnezzar ruled, and you're just listening to tell the story. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, he's telling the story. And when Daniel the prophet walked in, this is the painting he would have seen. And you're like, oh my gosh. And everyone's like, chuk, 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 chuk. <laughs> taking all the photos. Somebody actually set off the alarm because they got so close to it. It's like, reader, reader. <laughs> like, okay, don't take it. Just photograph it. What was he doing? He was helping us to gaze upon the beauty of this artifact, something that I would have casually just walked by. I found myself looking at every detail as I imagined if I'm Daniel and I go in and I see this thing. Friends, we are to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That is why we need to open our Bibles in times of trouble. And even if we don't feel like it, and oftentimes I do not, please don't misunderstand I don't naturally, when I wake up in a time of suffering and trial, just go straight to my Bible. My heart doesn't want it. But I know and I've been convinced that this is the right thing. And so I open up the Word of God, and as I do, the Holy Spirit illuminates the truths to my heart, and it begins to fill up that space in my mind now with the truths of God. And I find myself being changed the more time I spend in the presence of God, as the Holy Spirit is moving in my heart, as his word is open, as I'm talking about these things with other believers, I'm gazing upon the beauty of God. And it's as if I'm bringing this thing that is dear closer to me that the size of my fears begins to fade into the background. There's a delight that he describes in facing his fear. When fear comes, I'm gonna delight in the Lord. I'm gonna gaze upon his beauty. But there's also a discipline. When David says to seek him in his temple, in the Hebrew understanding of the word, it means I'm gonna seek his will for me. I want to do what he wants me to do. Not merely for what he gives, but for who he is. And here David describes two key aspects of the Christian life, delight and discipline. Both are important. The two go together. Think about any relationship. If you want to experience intimacy in any relationship, it will involve both delight and discipline. Think about being married. Your spouse, there's a delight, like, oh, you're amazing. There's also a discipline. You need to serve them. You need to, to honor them. You need to arrange your life in a way that, that protects them and blesses them. So it's not just enough in a marriage to have, you know, some guy, like, I wrote a song for you. And she's like, okay, amazing. Did you pay the rent? He's like, no. <laughs> I used that rent money to buy this guitar that I'm going to sing a song for you. And you're like, okay. <laughs> you need to have delight as well as discipline. But it can't just all be discipline. There's also delight. They go hand in hand. And it is notable that the first thing that people often forsake is the very thing that David takes up. I wanna seek the face of God. Many of us, if we're honest, when we suffer, we're like, I'm out, I'm not going to church. My life just got bad, I'm not going to church. Things are hard, I'm crippled by fear, I'm not gonna read my Bible, but David's like, these people are about to kill me, I wanna gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Because I know that's the only place that I'm gonna find true safety. And so he says in verse six, then 
My head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Don't you want this? I want to be able to sing with shouts of praise in the midst of facing my fears. Well, then we need to do what David did and gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him. Friends, in many ways, this is what we do and why we gather every single week. We come to the word of God. We, we worship. Why do we have so much space in our gatherings dedicated to, to music and to prayer and communion? Because we want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. When the sermon's over, the service isn't over. We turn it over in our minds. We, we sit with it. We take it to prayer. We reflect on it. We gaze on the beauty of the Lord. That is the purpose of why we gather together. David approached his fears Honesty with God, intimacy with God, but lastly, dependency on God. Make no mistake, David wanted to seek his face. He also brought his cares to the one he was seeking. So what does David do in the rest of the psalm? He prays all the benefits of seeking God through his temple, and that's what gives him confidence. He prays his fears. So one of his fears is that he wouldn't be heard, so he asks to be heard. Verse seven and eight, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. But then there's a confidence. My heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. He asks to be heard. He prays this fear of not being heard. He prays it. He prays for acceptance. Why? Because many of us fear rejection. We are being we're afraid of being rejected by your parents or your children or your spouse or your friends or your boss or your, your coworkers, whatever it might be. And so in verse 9, he says, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. David's praying his fears. Lord, I pray that I would be heard. Lord, I pray that I would be accepted because I fear that I won't be heard. I fear that I will be rejected. But David prays with this confidence because he knows the one that he's praying to. We need to get specific with God when we face our fears. Like, God, I am going through these difficult times and here is my fear. Talk to God about your fear. Bring it into the light. Otherwise, it will only grow in the darkness. So David shows dependence on God. How? By praying specifically. He prays that he would be heard. He prays that he would be accepted. Third, he prays that he would be guided. How do I live? What do I do? He looks to God for guidance. Verse 11, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. God, what do I do? What do I do right now? I'm like afraid. I don't know what to do. God, will you show me what to do? Will you teach me your ways as I seek to do your will? And then he asks for protection. He asks for protection. He shows his dependency on God by praying for his protecting presence in verse 12. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes. 
for false witnesses rise up against me spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. See, through prayer, it's essentially an act of surrender. Instead of thinking that this is all on me and I'm holding the reins, when we get specific with God and honest before God, we're relinquishing our control or what little control we think we have. And though oftentimes people view the word surrender as a sign of weakness, it is actually a mark of victory because you're releasing control to the only one who can truly rescue you. Dependency on God means honest prayer where you acknowledge that everything you need comes from God. That's why he was led to such confidence in verse 13. I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He was confident that he would see goodness. Not merely at the end of his trial, but even within his trial. But notice this is a lifestyle. This dependency, this praying your fears, it's not just a one-time gig. He says in verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. For the more that we are honest before God and intimate with God and dependent upon God, the more that we do that and cry out to him and seek his face and get specific and pray our fears, we will begin to experience that remarkable confidence that David did. What do we do in our waiting? If you're anything like me, like you think you can just solve every problem, financial difficulties, what am I doing? I don't go immediately to prayer. I go to Facebook Marketplace. I'm like, I could sell this. I go to eBay. I go to OfferUp. Like, I'm like, I can sell things. And my wife's like, did you pray? I'm like, of course I did. No, I, I didn't. Maybe I did. I don't even know. I'm just gonna sell stuff <laughs> to pay this bill. It's the self-dependence. And yet David is showing something completely opposite in his waiting, gazing upon his beauty, inquiring of him, singing to him, praising him. But if you're like me, you wonder, what, how, how do all these, how do I know that these benefits belong to me? You're like, yeah, 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 that's good for David. But how do I know that this is true for me? How was David confident and how can I be confident like him? Here's why, friends, listen. Because David is looking at God through the truth of the temple. That's the key to this whole psalm. David has remarkable confidence even when people literally want to destroy his life because he's looking at God through the truth of the temple. What is that? That we have a God who is right, just, and holy and who cannot look upon our sin. But we also have a God who is merciful and forgiving and gracious. And so God acted in history. He provided a way through sacrifices for the people in the Old Testament to be able to have access to God. And they knew that they had a God who wanted to meet with them. And it was in light of that, God did this. He made a way for me. And listen, if the truths of the temple were enough to enable David to face an army, how much more will the truth of Jesus Christ enable you to face all of your fears? Because Jesus provides once and for all 
all that the temple was pointing towards. Will God hear me? You are heard through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You are heard because of Jesus. He's made a way for you. He will hear your prayer. And God will always answer prayers in a way that works for your good and his glory and not according to your timeline, which saddens me often. <laughs> but then I'm recalibrated by the word of God. The answer you get may not be what you expect, but he works all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. You will be heard. Will you be accepted? We are accepted in Christ. Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter six, however, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. All of God's righteous anger against our sin has been taken for us by Jesus on the cross. He took the rejection that we deserve so that we could get the acceptance that he deserves. That's the gospel. Will I be heard? Yes, Jesus has made a way. Will I be accepted? Yes, Jesus has made a way. Will God guide me? Yes, we are guided in Jesus Christ. For he said again in John's Gospel, chapter eight, Jesus spoke to the people and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Spirit of God illuminating the word of God, and empowering you to live the life he's called you to do. Will I be protected? Will I be rescued? We are protected in Christ. And so again, in John's gospel, Jesus says, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in all of its fullness. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. David was able to sing amid his fear because he had a stronghold in God. If your trust is in Jesus Christ, he is your refuge. He is your stronghold. How does a stronghold save you? Even like the storm's coming right now, you're in a sheltered building, what's happening? This building takes the hit so that you will be covered. A stronghold takes the hit so that you will not. Jesus Christ on the cross took the one hit that we should all ultimately fear, the guilt of our sin and the eternal separation that comes from it. That's the one thing we should truly fear. But Jesus is our refuge because he took that one fatal blow that could truly ruin us so that we might be saved, so that anything else that comes your way may hurt. It may be difficult, but it will never be fatal because Jesus is your stronghold and it gives you the strength you need to face all the other fears. It's why Paul the Apostle said famously in Romans chapter eight, what then shall we say to all these things, all these fears? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all thanks? So take whatever you fear and put it in these truths. David didn't pray, look, David didn't say, if only I had more weapons. If only I had more money. If only I had more friends. If only I had better parents. David found confidence in the face of fear because he said, if I only have you, then I have everything I need. And though these threats are real and they may hurt, the blow will never be fatal. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If your trust is in Christ, you can say the same. If you've not believed in him today, do so. Invite him as your Lord and Savior, as your refuge, shelter against the penalty against your sin that you deserve. And as a church, let's take all of these fears and let's pray them. Let's pray them to the God who is our refuge. Let's gaze upon his beauty and let us rest in his comfort. Let's make him our one thing, our ultimate thing. Let's do that now. Father, we do pray that what is true would become real to our hearts, that even as the rain hits this building and yet we are covered, Lord, our ultimate fear of being separated from you has already been dealt with at the cross. God, I just pray that even this would be like a, an audible aid for us right now. Like what we deserve, we're not getting. Jesus, you're our shield, you're our stronghold, you're our fortress, you're our defender, you're our strong tower. May we hide in you. I pray that we would come and just be honest about all of our fears, invite you into them, and gaze upon your beauty as our greatest defense. I pray that we would truly delight in you. David wasn't pretending, we know that. And in the midst of that, he sang and he rejoiced and he said, man, if I just have this one thing, and that's you. And we get you in the gospel. So that may, may that be our joy. Spirit of God, would you move? And I pray that you would break the chains of fear. Set us free, God. Holy Spirit, move. We ask in Jesus' name.